Man, do we serve an able God? Said, so do we serve an able God? I love the way Jude says it. Jude, Judah said it this way. Now unto him who is able to do what? To keep you. God kept you this week. Because the reality is you shouldn't have made it past last night. The fact that you woke up this morning is sheer grace. And it is proof that God is able to keep you. Because the reality is God doesn't have to. You know, God's so powerful, he doesn't have to hit you for you to fall. All he simply has to do is let you go. But God kept you, and he continues to keep us, and we are grateful for the keeping power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm grateful to be here with you gathered amongst the body once more and again. I, I never take our time together lightly. It's always, 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 always a joy to be able to be around your smiling faces and sometimes your crying faces. It's just a joy to be around the body of Christ. Well, listen, let's cut off the small talk. I'm eager to preach. There's a lot to do. So Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be. If you can grab your Bibles and meet me there, Luke chapter 19. Quickly want to reiterate the prayer walk. Uh, those of you who are able uh, to stay with us for our prayer walk, it will happen shortly after the, uh, this service. And so if you have your, on your walking shoes, even if you don't have your walking shoes, we will not be walking fast and we will not be walking long. Uh, 30 minutes, 30 minutes is what we want to do. Here's what Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 will say. It says that we should always pray. We should pray without ceasing. And one of the ways our church was founded was on prayer. In fact, my, my wife and I, before we even really felt called to this area. We spent time just literally doing what we're doing this afternoon, walking the neighborhood and just praying and asking God to clarify and uh, to give burden, to give passion. And then made another trip back up with my pastor, Dr. Eric Mason, and he, uh, we, we got to just walk the streets and pray as well. And so uh, today is nothing new. This is something that our church has been doing and our church has done prayer walks and now that the weather has broken, it's a little bit nicer. We will be doing that again today. So if you don't have to rush out, uh, please hang with us to, uh, to walk the streets a little bit and pray. And pray that God would help us to engage people that don't know Jesus, that see people praying. And they're like, what are y'all doing? Let the neighbors see us praying and ask, what are we doing? And we can just simply share the good news of our faith in Jesus Christ. All right, Luke chapter 19. I want you to pick me up in verse 1. We have 10 verses to do here. Verse 1, he, talking about Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature, so he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. That way, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, underline what Jesus says here, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house. Note this word, today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, talking about the crowd, they grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone anything, I restore it. Note this, fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
since he is also the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save that which is lost. I want to preach this afternoon from the topic entitled, A New Sense of Purpose. A new sense of purpose. Let us look to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning. We, we don't, this moment is not a filler moment. I'm not praying uh, just because we do that every week before the sermon, but Father, we desperately need you. This prayer is saying we are dependent on you. If you do not move in this room, our time is in vain. My preaching is in vain. It's a good academic exercise, okay at best, academic exercise. But Father, when you move in this room, you can transform hearts. You can take our little and make a lot out of it. And so, Father, would you move today in this room? Father, we do not want to steal any of your glory. Psalms 115, not unto us, not unto us, but unto you get the glory. So, Father, may Jesus be proclaimed from this text. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. A new sense of purpose. In 1879, there was a chemist by the name of Dr. Joseph Lawrence. He set out to create his most famous uh, product. It's probably sitting on your bathroom sinks right now, and that product is called Listerine. I pray somebody Listerine this morning. <laughs> now, when he originally created this, this, uh, this invention, he, he created it 133 years ago. He created it as not a plaque-destroying mouthwash, but it was an originally created as a surgical antiseptic. And then later on, I'm not talking about that fresh burst or, or that cool mint. I'm talking that original gold. You, you know, that you, you gargle that one second too long, it'll literally rip a layer of skin off of your mouth. That, the original, was originally created as a surgical antiseptic. Later on, it was repurposed to treat athlete's foot and to soften corns. And in the 1920s, it got its most lucrative use, and that was a germ-killing mouthwash. Same with Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was not originally created as a soft drink, but the original creation of Coca-Cola was an alternative to morphine addiction. It was created by a guy named John Pemberton, who he himself struggled with an addiction to morphine, and he created this soft drink to be an alternative, to be a substitute for the drug morphine. The point I'm trying to make in lifting up Coca-Cola and Listerine is that both of, the, both of these became widely successful, not as they were originally invented, but by being repurposed. By focusing their purpose on a different trajectory, they became widely successful in their field. Well, in our text, there's a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And originally, if you look at Zacchaeus' life, he was a sinner, Bible says that he was not just a sinner, but we'll see when we work through the text that he is the biggest sinner in town. But Jesus gives him a new sense of purpose. One encounter with Jesus changes his trajectory. Some of you in this room need that moment where you need to press reset on your life. And maybe you've trusted in Jesus. Maybe you come every week, but you're just at that point where Christianity for you has just become the thing you do. It just becomes the, 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 you know, the rhythm of your life. But is Jesus your all? So what we're going to see in the text is that this man named Zacchaeus will repurpose his life. And let me just put my cards on the table. Yes, God can give you a new sense of purpose. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, he can give you a new sense of purpose. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 will say. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold... The new has come. 
That is good news for every single person in here that no matter what you walked in here with, God can give you a new sense of purpose. So despite that failed marriage, you can start over. Despite that bad relationship, you can start over. Despite that bad decision and moral failures, you can start over. Despite that that broken relationship, you can start over. Why don't you help me preach? Just look at somebody and say, you can start over this afternoon. Despite shattered dreams, despite missed opportunities and failed opportunities, you have a chance this afternoon to start over. And repurposing your life is not for you to get the glory, but so that Jesus can get the glory and the honor out of your life. How do I know that Jesus can repurpose your life? Because he's about to do it with the biggest sinner in Jericho, a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Why don't you work with me through the text? Y'all know how we'll do. We'll read a little bit. We'll talk. We'll read. We'll talk and see what the Lord will have to say. Verse one, he talking about Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. We are privileged this morning to get let in on the name of the biblical individual. The person that we will be talking about today is Zacchaeus. And the reason I say we're privileged is because that's not always the case when you read the Bible. There are times when you read the Bible where the Bible does not give you the individual's name, but it defines them based on occupation or it defines them based on their physical condition. Let me give you an example of that. In Luke chapter 8, we're introduced to the woman with the issue of blood. We do not know her name. The only detail you get is that she had this issue for 12 long years, but we don't get let in on her name. The same thing with the 10 lepers. We don't know any of the 10 lepers' names. All we know is that they were joined together as a community of lepers. That's all you know. Same thing with the, in Luke chapter 14, the man, the Bible says he has dropsy. Dropsy is a condition where the body, it's a physical condition where the body is retaining water. We do not know the man, his dropsy. We do not know his name. All we know is his physical condition. The same thing with occupation. Read Genesis 40. In Genesis 40, you see the occupation of a man that's a cupbearer and a baker. You don't know his name. You, know, you don't know their names. You know that one is a baker and you know one is a cupbearer. That's all you know. Or you look at Acts 16 with the Philippian jailer. We know that he works in the prison system, but we don't know his name. How privileged we are this morning that we don't just get to see that this man is a tax collector, but that we get his name. Why is that important? Because it lets us in on a little bit of his upbringing. His name is Zacchaeus, which literally means pure or righteous. So apparently Zacchaeus' parents must have had some type of expectation that their son would grow up faithful and devout to the Lord. Pure and righteous is what we're going to name him. But Zacchaeus was, he did not live up to the expectation. He became, as the text just tells us, a tax collector. Now, now we got to do some work here. If you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard me do this. Because what we do when it comes to reading the Bible is we'll read that the individual is a tax collector, but we won't understand the depth of the sin of a tax collector. We won't understand it. What we'll do is we'll miss it and we'll miss how deep God's grace goes to save him. Tax collectors in Israel were deeply hated. They were hated for two reasons. Number one, they were hated because being a tax collector inherently was corrupt. 
So they were collecting taxes for Rome. They would take $20 because that's what Rome required. They would take an extra 10 and they would pocket 10 and give 20 to Rome. Everybody knew it. Nobody could do anything about it. And so they were thieves at best. But they're not only hated because they stole $10. In my mind, I'm like, get over it. It's $10. But they're also hated because of who they're collecting taxes for. They're collecting taxes for the Roman government. If you know anything about Rome, Rome had a brutal army. I mean, they were a brutal regime. Think 300 on steroids. Rome was wicked. What they would do is, and nobody could do anything about it, they would walk into the house of somebody that lived in Israel, and they would rape your wife, they would rape your daughter, and there's nothing you could do about it. They would take your family members that rebelled against Rome, they would put them on a stake, and they would put their body on the roads leading up to Rome. So everybody that came into Rome knew one thing, do not mess with Rome, because they will kill you. Now, here's the question you should be asking. How in the world do you fund, supply, and feed a massive army taxes. And so the guy down the street isn't only taking the extra $10, he's giving the other $20 to Rome to feed an army that probably raped your wife. They're giving the money to feed an army that probably killed one of your family members. And so our boy Zacchaeus is deeply hated. He's considered a sinner because of his occupation. And he's considered a traitor because he was from Israel. So tax collectors were hated. But our boy Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. Did you read the text with me? He's a chief tax collector. He's like the kingpin. He's not the dude on the, weed, on the corner smoking weed. He's the, the distribution center. He's the drug lord. He's the kingpin. He's the top dog. And God is about to move in the life of a man that everybody in Jericho knew was a sinner. Everybody in Jericho knew that this man was deeply, deeply corrupt. So here's what we know so far. We know his name is Zacchaeus, which means pure or righteous. His parents probably were devout and, and loved the Lord and tried to bring him up to love the Lord, but he rebelled. We know that he's a chief tax collector, but there's one more important detail found in verse number two. Don't miss this. And he was rich. This statement reveals the fact that you can be rich financially, but poor spiritually. This statement reveals, this is why I hate the prosperity gospel. This is why I hate it. Because this gospel that says all you got to do is have enough faith and God wants everybody rich. And for some reason, riches equals more relationship with the Lord. If that's the case, Oprah's tight with the Lord. Bill Gates got it tight with the Lord. Anybody that has money and anybody that is poor doesn't have enough faith. That's a faulty gospel. In fact, Paul will go so far as to say in Galatians 5, that's another, that's not even, like you didn't distort the gospel, it's a whole nother gospel. It's not the gospel of Christ. So the Bible tells us here that this man was rich, which is evidence that you can be rich and empty. You can be rich and need Jesus. You can make $400,000 and deeply need Jesus. You can work on Wall Street and still need Jesus. You know how I know? Because Zacchaeus is climbing his rich butt up into a tree because he knows that he's still void. He needs the Lord. So the Bible tells us that this man is rich. And being rich, I just want to push that. Riches do not equal right relationship with the Lord. Jesus equals right relationship with the Lord. And so you can be rich and unhappy. You, you can be powerful and unloved. 
You can be successful and not satisfied. What you need is not to fill that void with more stuff. You need Jesus. Zacchaeus realizes that. And so what does he do? He climbs up in a tree. In fact, let's just read it so I don't have to make it up. Verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, talking about Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. The Bible tells us that this man was not only named Zacchaeus, he was not only a chief tax collector, he was not only rich, but he was short. When I read this, I think of like a Danny DeVito, just a small, in the midst of a big crowd, and, and, you know, he can do jumping jacks. He can try to he can yell to try to get Jesus attention, but you can't see him because he's so short. And so in wisdom, he runs ahead of the crowd, climbs up in a tree so that Jesus can see who he is. But Zacchaeus here felt that Jesus seeing Jesus was more important than maintaining his image. Don't miss this. Men of, of stature and men of wealth did not run, and they certainly didn't climb into trees. Because what he's showing us here is that seeing Jesus is more important than maintaining some type of prestige or some type of image. And some of you in here, your image needs to be broken. Because the reason you can't really successfully give your life to the Lord, and I'm not talking about that conversion, I'm talking all of your life, every aspect of you. You can't give it to the Lord fully because you're more concerned about your image. Zacchaeus was willing to look like a fool to see Jesus. Are you willing to look like a fool to see Jesus? Are you willing to put your image on the line? There's a word for believers and non-believers. For non-believers, listen, don't let anything get in the way of seeing Jesus today. I don't care what it is. Don't let family, you know how many people won't accept Jesus because their family will rebel against them. Don't let anybody and anything get in the way of you seeing Jesus. You need him today. Don't act like you don't. You absolutely need him. Why? Because Zacchaeus needed him. And so it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter what you drive. It doesn't matter what, what your socioeconomic you know, bracket is. You need Jesus. And what we see in the text is that this man realizes it. And the reason I'm pushing this is because some people don't come to the Lord because they don't really realize their need for him. But you do need him. You trying to fix your own sin is like going with a wrench to Niagara Falls to fix a leaky faucet. You can't do it. You cannot fix your own sin. Let me help you. Give it to Jesus. You're like that two-year-old kid that has made a mess and you're trying to clean it up. You're making a bigger mess. You need Jesus today. And so... For, for you that, that are in this room that haven't trusted Jesus, thank you for coming. You are welcome here. You are loved here. But I have an agenda this morning, and to, that is to present to you that you have a need. What is that need? You need the same need that Zacchaeus has. He's climbing up in a tree, and he's not letting friends. Can you imagine what the other tax collectors are saying? The people that were under him, can you imagine what his friends and family are saying? Why is he climbing in a tree? There's no guarantee that Jesus will even see him, but he doesn't. He puts his reputation on the line. Your reputation needs to be broken. This is also a word for believers as well. This is not just a word for non-believers. For believers, what we've done is, like when we look at Zacchaeus, he is the last person that you would think in Jericho that Jesus would want to see. He's considered what we would say is too far to be saved. 
Don't act like y'all don't do that. Y'all have people in your life. You look at their lives. They're not consistent. They're, they're, they may be strung out on jugs. Maybe they're doing their own thing. They've denounced the faith. They do not. They have no love for Jesus. They are not too far for the Lord. And stop. Let's, what we've done is we've cut the tree down of other people trying to see Jesus because we, we think we made it in based off privilege. You made it in by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. And the one that you look at and say is too far for the Lord can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And so stop counting people out. Here's the challenge I have for you this week. That one person that popped in your mind when I said you've considered them too far. That person, I need you to pray for them for seven days straight. Every, don't miss a day this week. Seven days straight Pray for that person that you would consider is too far for the Lord. And then after the seven days, shoot them a phone call, shoot them a text and simply say, man, what's up? I just want to hear about your life, how things going and wait for the opportunity to share Jesus. Because the person that you've scratched off the list needs the tree. And you might be that tree that they climb up in. You might be the tree that people will the avenue in which they will see Jesus Consider that. This is why it's important for our lives not to be inconsistent with the gospel. Only let your manner of life, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 1, 27, only let your manner of life be counted worthy of the gospel. We say we believe the gospel, but our lives reflect something different. Do you believe in Jesus and does your life line up that you believe in Jesus? So what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus here, the Bible says that he's about to climb up in a tree. And that's what I challenge you. Zacchaeus is Jericho. I'm sure all of Jericho was like this fool should not be in this tree. Let somebody that's more redeemable be in the tree. But even the unredeemable is redeemable in a Christ hand because he's all powerful. Stop cutting down that tree. Here's what Romans chapter 5 verse 20 will say. Where sin increase, grace abound all the more. There's nobody that's too far. There's nobody outside of God's reach. God can, you know how I know? Because he reached you. I need somebody to say amen right there. He reached you. And when you consider, like, not, not this well-packaged you, not the you that you brought this morning, the trifling you that you left at home, he reached that person and said, I'm going to give this person another, I'm going to repurpose their life. And Zacchaeus here gets a second chance. And he, here's what I love about the scope of the salvation of God. The scope of, uh, of salvation is so big because he's not only saving the rich. If, so what I do when I read the scriptures, and I want to make sure I'm in context, if I read it quickly, if I read chapter 19, I'm going to, in one sitting, read chapter 18, and I'm going to read chapter 20 just to see what else is going on before, what else happens after Jesus leaves Jericho, because the Bible says he's passing through. He's not sleeping there. He's passing through. So I want to read the context. And when I was reading the context this morning, I realized that at the end of chapter 18, Jesus saves the poorest man in Jericho. The Bible says it's a blind beggar at the gate. Jesus sa saves the blind beggar and then goes right and saves the richest person in Jericho. What am I saying? The scope of Jesus Christ's love. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if you're gay. It doesn't matter if you're straight. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic makeup is. It doesn't matter if you met Jesus 20 years ago or this is the first time you ever came to church. You are not out of reach for Jesus Christ. He can save everybody. 
So nobody's too far. And I know this because he's about to work in the life of the biggest sinner in Jericho. Look back at the text with me. Verse number five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, here's what Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine how Zacchaeus felt? He's up in the tree. The disciples don't say, hey, yo, that's Zacchaeus. He knows his name. And if he knew Zacchaeus' name, I know Zacchaeus was like, he knows my name. What else does he know about me? Here's the reality. He knows everything about you. There's nothing that he doesn't know about you. The stuff that is hidden from us is laid bare before the Lord. You know how I know he knows everything about Zacchaeus? Because he created Zacchaeus. Colossians chapter 1, all things were created for him and by him. And outside of him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus created not only, (laughs) it's crazy, he not only created Zacchaeus, but created the tree Zacchaeus was in. He knows everything about you. So the text tells us that he calls him. He says, Zacchaeus, now watch the urgency. Come down. He says, because I have to abide at your house. I have to come to your house today, not tomorrow, not next week. I'm not waiting for you to run home and clean up the house first. I'm coming over today. Y'all know how we do when you get an unexpected visitor. The house is dirty. You know, you're just kind of chilling. You're watching, you know, Netflix and get that doorbell ring. And what do we do? We shut all the doors that have y'all. Anybody ever did that before? Y'all need to go home and clean those rooms. I just want to put y'all out there real quick. I see you, George. Clean up that room for Jazz gets you. I'm just saying, Jesus, see, we don't have to do that with Jesus. Jesus can walk in the house. He wants to kick down the door, but he doesn't want to laugh at the filthy rooms. He wants to clean them. You got to understand, Jesus going to Zacchaeus, like Zacchaeus has not made any restitution yet. Zacchaeus has not given any money back to the poor yet. That doesn't happen until verse 8. But in verse 5, Jesus is like, I want him like he is. Get down at that tree. Let's go to that filthy sinner house that you live in and let me clean it up. That's the Jesus that we serve. Okay, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says it this way. God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of your sin, he said, I want you. He doesn't wait. Like, you would think that Jesus would wait till verse 8. So after he's made the restitution, then Jesus is like, oh, man, that's so dope. Now I want you. Jesus doesn't do that. He wants him despite the fact he doesn't even know if he's going to do that or not. But he wants him like he is. Some of you in here, you feel like you're too far. Like, forget everybody else. You feel like you're too far because of your sin. You're not too far because of your sin. Because Jesus wants Zacchaeus. Now, what, is, what else is going on? What else is going on around Zacchaeus? We know what Jesus is thinking. We're about to know what Zacchaeus is thinking. But what is the crowd doing? Look at verse number six with me. Before we get to, verse, before we get to what the crowd is doing, look at verse number six. So he hurried. This is Zacchaeus. So he hurried and came down and received him. Look at this word, joyfully. Like this is, this is the true mark. This is how you know your life is being repositioned and repurposed is when your life is marked by joy in Jesus, not stuff. Like, hear me. Like, do you have genuine joy because of Jesus Christ? And I'm not talking about joy at conversion. I'm talking about joy throughout all of your life. That's the real mark of a true conversion. Jesus will not drag anybody to heaven. He's not dragging you to heaven, kicking and screaming. Everyone that's going is happy to be on the boat. 
happy to be on the ride to heaven. Because what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is showing, uh, Zacchaeus is showing us that he has joy. That is, you need to mark your life by joy in Jesus. Notice I didn't ask you, are you happy with him? Notice I didn't, I didn't ask you, did you accept him? Do you have joy for him? Do you, I found out in my own personal life that I am most fulfilled when I am finding my deepest joy in Jesus and not stuff. And let's be honest. Sometimes it's easier to find your, your, your joy in stuff because it's tangible. It's right here. But in reality, what happens when it's taken away from you? You find your joy in that job. What happens when you get the, the, the pink slip? You find your joy in getting that new house. What happens when you get evicted? See, this is why I bank on joy in Jesus, because my grandmother used to say it this way. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it, and the world cannot take it away. Joy in Jesus Christ is the mark of every single one of us. I used to love the song Richard Smallwood, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. Y'all remember that song? Jesus, you're the center of my joy. All that's good and perfect comes from you. You're the heart of my contentment, hope for all I do. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. I would sing it, but that will mess up the rest of the sermon. So so I I won't sing it. I'm just going to say it. Jesus should be the center of your joy. Now, what, uh, what is the crowd doing? Verse 7. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Like, imagine this. Imagine that you lived in Jericho. And imagine that you have seen Zacchaeus' life-changing experience with Jesus. Imagine that you're witnessing this. Imagine if Zacchaeus comes back the next day to rob you. Imagine that Zacchaeus comes back the next day and he decides to collect taxes. You would conclude that Zacchaeus is a hypocrite and that Jesus is a fraud. Okay, let me make this uncomfortable for you. Same for you. If Jesus has changed your life, if you have had an experience with Jesus, but you don't turn from the thing that you were doing, you look like a hypocrite and Jesus looks like a fraud. Your life has to be representing Jesus Christ. And some of us in this room, we accept Jesus, but we don't turn from whatever we were involved in. We accept Jesus, but we, we like the Listerine never went back to be a foot wash. The Listerine never went back to be a surgical antiseptic. It found its purpose and it stayed there. And some of you in this room find purpose and meaning in Jesus, but you let the cares of life pluck it out. And when it plucks it out, you now reposition yourself to be back to what you used to be. You hang around the same friends, the things that brought you satisfaction before. Don't know real Christian not really turn from sin. You got to turn, you got to, not a 360, because a 360 is back the same way. You got to make a 180. You got to turn your back to whatever you were dealing with and whatever you were involved in so that the grumblers won't say, see, this is why I don't trust Christianity. This is why I can't trust Jesus, because you act like you profess in faith, but your life don't line up. And you like, listen to me, you are an image bearer of Jesus Christ. Before before people hear the gospel, they see you. What do they see when they see you? The Bible tells us here that the crowd is grumbling. Jesus doesn't speak to the crowd. Zacchaeus doesn't speak to the crowd. Jesus and Zacchaeus are in a moment where Zacchaeus is being saved. And this is how I know he's being saved, because verse 9 is going to tell me that. All right, let's see what he does here. 
Because obviously he's overwhelmed by Jesus, knowing his name and saying, I'm coming to your house. Look at what he does. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone anything, I restore it fourfold. Please notice something here. These acts of kindness in this charity was not required to be in relationship with the Lord. Jesus did not say, after you do that, then you can be in relationship with me. This is the natural response of somebody that had his heart changed. God is the, the Christ is the only one that can take you from being greedy to being generous. Do you notice the place that he struggled in is the place that he turned over a new leaf, new leaf. And you in this room, maybe your issue is not greed. Maybe that's not your issue. Maybe your issue is lying. When you meet Jesus, you now have to turn to be a person that is truthful, practical. Maybe your issue is not lying. Maybe your issue is, is, is uh, sleeping around. You now have to turn from what you used to be to be something else. See, we call this legalism. Bible calls it obedience. And what we want to say is don't follow these rules. Nah, Jesus does demand your life be lined up with Jesus Christ. So maybe your issue isn't lying. Maybe your issue is gossiping. Maybe your issue isn't gossiping. Maybe your issue is porn or a drug addiction. Whatever your issue is, you need to turn and turn to Jesus. And that same area of issue needs to become a place of testimony. It needs to become a place that you help others with. Somebody else struggling with the same thing you struggle with. So what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus says, now that I have received transforming grace... It now changes my value system. You know his financial, like his financial life is at jeopardy at this point. Consider with me. I said he took $10 from you. That means he's giving you back 40. And Jesus didn't require it. Jesus didn't demand that he does that. It's the appropriate response from a changed heart. Some of you have had a changed heart. You've met Jesus, but there's no difference in your life. Your life must look drastically different from what you were. I was down in Florida a couple weeks ago, and I was at a pastor's conference, my wife and I, and my mentor was the speaker of the conference, one of my mentors, a guy named Dr. Paul Tripp. And while he was there, this is what he said. I quoted him. I mean, I just thought it was a powerful statement. He said, you know Jesus is changing your value system when you start to do things that you would have never did in the past. Like you would have cussed them out in the past. But when your value system is changed, you now pray for them. See, that is when you know, when Jesus takes that one area that you struggle with and then makes it a testimony, that's when you know your value system has changed. It has not changed if you're doing the same thing. And some of you in this room, you are. You're doing the same thing. Now, you got to understand what's happening here. In verse 8, he's not giving out stuff to be saved. He's doing it because he is saved. You know how I know he saved? He was saved in verse 5. Why? Because look at verse 9 with me. Almost done here. Verse 9, it says this. Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to your house. I was baffled when I read this. I was baffled because in verse 5, Jesus says, I come to your house. And then in verse 9, he says, salvation has come to your house. But then I realized Jesus doesn't only bring salvation. He is salvation. Like Jesus is showing us here that he is what salvation is, not just the person that brings it. Remember Simeon, that the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, when Simeon grabs baby Jesus, he's about to get dedicated and Simeon grabs him. And when Simeon grabs baby Jesus, he says, 
You can dismiss your servant in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. Not the one that brings salvation. My, see, my eyes have seen the one that salvation is wrapped up in. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. There is no hope for eternal life with God outside of Jesus Christ. He is our all-sufficient prophet, priest, king, and our all-sufficient sacrifice. You know how I know, also I know that this is about salvation and not just about acts of kindness? Because Jesus then goes on to say, since he also is the son of Abraham. He's really tying here that salvation is by faith alone because Abraham was saved by faith alone. Okay, I got to put Bible there. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 says, by, fi- by faith, righteousness was accredited to his account and he was justified. He was justified because he had faith. The same thing with Zacchaeus. Notice, Jesus ain't died on the cross yet. Jesus is standing there with him. This is not a parable. Jesus is standing there present with Zacchaeus. The only thing that saved Zacchaeus while he was in the tree was that he had faith. So in other words, he wasn't saved because he gave restitution. He was not saved because he gave to the poor. And I have to say that because some of you think your acts of kindness will save you. It will not. The only thing that saves us is the person and the work of Jesus Christ and having faith in that, in that alone. Here's the question you should be asking. What, what am I saved from? Pastor, you know, you keep talking about salvation. What am I saved from? Here's what you're saved from, the wrath of God. Amen. See, we don't preach about the wrath of God enough. We just preach about the love and the kindness, and these are attributes of God. But you know that his holiness leads him to punish all sin. And so here, here's why, you know, if you're, you're not a believer and you've come here and you think we're crazy, the reason that we worship Jesus the way we do is because Jesus got on the cross and stood in, 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 in God's way condemned for you. Jesus got on a cross and took 100%, not 99, 100% of your sin, Jesus takes and absorbs it. And he's crushed. The Bible says it pleased the father to crush the son. And he's crushed on your behalf, and then he does something crazy. He gives you his righteousness. Because in order to stand before this holy God, he does not demand good. He demands perfection. And the only perfect one that ever walked this earth was Jesus Christ. But then Jesus trades with you your sin, your dysfunction, that bad decision, that bad relationship, that cycle of sin. He trades that for his righteousness. So the reason that we worship Jesus Christ is because he is the only hope to be in a relationship with a holy father. God will look at you at some point and say, man, that boy is holy. You, come on, you know you're not holy. God will look at you and say, spotless. You, you know you're not spotless. But we are based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And what, what, he is receiving, Zacchaeus is receiving in this text, is not just somebody that's coming over for dinner. This is not just somebody that's coming over to help clean the house. Like Jesus isn't coming over to babysit the kids. Jesus is bringing salvation. Some of you in this room, you need to, you need to either press the reset button if you've trusted in Jesus and you've kind of gone through the rhythms of religiosity because we all get there. Can we act like, like, don't act like we don't come to church and we just come just because it's the thing you're supposed to do. You checked your Jesus thing off the list this morning. But the reality is some of you need to reset and repurpose and refocus your life to be 100% about Jesus Christ. I've said it before. He's central. He's not first. 
Because if he's first, we check him off and keep going. But if he's central, he's everything. And some of you need to realize that repurposing your life means putting Jesus at the center where he belongs. And then there's some of you that haven't trusted in Jesus. And so having a new sense of purpose means giving your life to him today. Some of you are in that tree right now. And Jesus is saying, come down. I'm coming to your house. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to pray for those two groups of people that are in this room. Worship team, y'all can come on up. I want to pray for those two groups. That one group that has trusted in Jesus and you've been walking with him for a while, but somewhere along the line, you just got stuck into a rhythm. Can I warn you, that season of coasting is the season that sin typically creeps in. So you might think you're all good right now. I'm going to small group. I come to fourth Wednesday night Bible study. I come here every single week. I serve. And you might think that you're okay. But you need to reset this morning. And you need for Jesus to be the focus of your life. Then that other group in here, I want to pray for you. That other group in here that doesn't know Jesus. You know some stuff about him. You know some stuff about his people, his church. But do you know him? Father, I pray for every individual in this room. It doesn't matter if they're serving. It doesn't matter who they are. Father, I may not know them, but you do. I may not know their business, but you do. So, Father, would you make them uncomfortable this morning? The one that doesn't know you, make them uncomfortable this morning. Help them to realize that they are desperately in need of you. And also, Lord, help them to be like Zacchaeus, not care about their reputation, not care about their image. But, Father, would you move them into a place of salvation, which is only done by having faith in you. Father, I also pray for that one that has trusted in you, but they've drifted off. They've, they've they lost the fire. They've kind of gotten to some other things. They put other things before you. Help us to repurpose our lives today. And help us to realize, Lord, the fleetingness of everything in this world. Help us to realize that job that we got a promotion on is fleeting. We're one phone call away from losing that job. Help us to realize that, Lord. We put our stock into so many things that are temporary. Help us to realize, Lord, there's one thing that's not temporary, and that is you and faith in you. So would you work in the lives of your people today? In Christ's name, amen.